Are you looking to grow revenues, increase profitability, or obtain financing? If so, you came to the right place. Running a business is all about leadership. How do you become a better leader? Learn from the successful entrepreneurs and business owners how to lead your organization more effectively. That's why we created Leadership Live at 805, Talking Small Business, to help you succeed with your host, Andrew Frazier, Business Growth Pro and CFO and founder of the Small Business Pro University. Every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern, we're joined by experienced entrepreneurs and business owners who share their secrets to success via live stream. Also, every Friday morning, we release a new podcast episode. Either way, you will learn about developing your business leadership skills from our roster of highly performing guest experts. Leadership Live is one of the many valuable resources provided through the Small Business Pro University, empowering business owners to learn, profit, and grow. Find out more at sbprou.com. Good evening and welcome to Leadership Live at 805. I'm your host, Andrew Frazier, and excited to be hanging out with you one more time. Um, definitely a lot going on. Everybody's trying to get ready for the holidays or at least get everything done before the end of the year that you have to get done. So um, I'm doing the same, trying to squeeze um, a month's worth of stuff into two and a half weeks. Um, so hopefully we'll do that successfully. So. Um, that being said, um, we got quite a few things going on this week that I just want to let you know about before we get started officially with the show. So um, definitely tomorrow, a couple things happening. One, we have a webinar I'm doing with Jack Cox, Is My Business Sellable? Um, it's important to understand, you know, if you're going to sell at some point, there's different things that you need to do to make your business sellable. So join us tomorrow at noon Eastern. I'll put the link in the chat. Also tomorrow evening, if you're in New Jersey, Northern New Jersey, feel free to join the BBA for our um, annual holiday networking event. Um, tomorrow night, Montclair, New Jersey, 6 to 9 p.m. I'll put a link in the chat as well. And then um, finally, on Friday, I'm launching my next book, The Masterpreneur Playbook, second edition. Um, it's got um, everything the first one had, plus a lot of additional features and content. So um, we're doing official virtual launch noon Friday. Um, so join us. We'll have special guests and, um, you know, it'll be a good time. So uh, that's what's really coming up over the next week. So that being said, um, to this week's show, you know, even though I've been doing the show for three and a half years, we haven't really had a show like and had a guest like this. So I'm very excited about really being able to chat with him about, uh, about some things that um, he's looking at. So, you know, today's guest is Dan Ciccini. Um, we're going to talk about conflict being the yellow brick road to success. So, um, you know, most of us avoid conflict, um, but sometimes that can be a useful tool. So Dan is an expert going in working with organizations and really changing a conflict situation into a high performance situation for the organization. So we're going to talk about how do you do that and what are the signs um, that you need to look for. So um, without further ado, I'm going to invite Dan on. Hey, Dan, how are you doing this evening? Hey, Andrew, thanks for having me. I appreciate the, the time. I look forward to this. Excellent, excellent. Same here, same here, definitely. Um, we got a lot to cover. Hours, not that much time. So we're just going to dig in, okay? Let's go. Okay. Let's so, you know, I know who you are, but our guests don't. So take a minute, um, explain, you know, say a little bit about your journey. You know, how did you get where you are and what are you doing now? Well, I uh, grew up in a an entrepreneurial family. My father is an Italian, uh, his father, Italian immigrants and um, entrepreneurs. In fact, um, as a young kid, found myself working in movie theaters, you know, running projectors, cleaning the theater, doing that kind of thing. And then, you know, splicing 
uh, you know, reels together and showing them for the neighborhood in the garage, building a, a projection projector group, that kind of thing, and really got into business that way. Um, and then the other side of my life, my mother was a schizophrenic manic depressive. And so, and I ended up going, being a go-between between her and the psychi psychiatrist. And I really got it deep into understanding kind of human performance and how could I reach her. And, uh, you know, for a long time, it was traumatic. Uh, I went through quite a, a stint as a young man. I got, you know, I was a, in the street, left home early, got, inv got involved, you know, I was playing ball, left college, broke my foot playing ball, got involved with drugs, I ended up dealing drugs and kind of just rebellious. But while I did that was reading a lot and uh, I would, I did crazy things like buy old movie theaters and try to launder money through them. And eventually my wife found out I was living a double life as, and she kind of drew the line after about, we courted for five years and were married for about five when she called me on it. This was about 40 years ago. And um, I had to make a choice and I made a choice for her. And I, I started to really, my biggest concern was, could I be legitimate? Could I go do something? I, you know, and so I got myself deeply involved in business. I opened up some movie theaters legitimately and started working them and selling them. And then I got deeply involved in the human potential movement. Uh, my father had done it and uh, we had been estranged for a long while and he came and reached out and uh, we reconciled and he enrolled me in uh, this thing called LifeSpring and I, got, I became uh, deeply involved in that. And I started to think, well, you know, this is great for business. And, and so I, I started working with my own teams and grew a couple of businesses and sold them and eventually got into consulting. And uh, I started consulting about 40 years ago, 35 years ago, and um, got very involved. I, my biggest client, my first big client was ESPN. And I was involved with their merger with Disney. And I you know, just had a, a, a good run. And I started training other consultants and built a consultancy and sold that back in uh, 2010 or 9, 2009, I think. And uh, and then waited for non-competes to expire, and and then I met Adrian doing some work with him, and uh, we started take new ground. And I've been involved in mergers and acquisitions. I think I have a couple of partners. Adrian's our, my co-founder, and then I have another partner a guy named Mark Edwards, who was you know basically he was a, he's a VC, but he started out with a company. Uh, he was the number two guy in a company that was doing uh, in, in the computing space and the memory space, uh, QLogic it was called. And he took that thing for a ride. They, he was the number two in command there. And uh, they took it from about a $50 million market cap and ran it up to uh, 10.3 billion in five years. And I met him just after he left there. He was a VC, he had started a VC firm. And we started doing work together uh, with different clients. I had people I was working with or clients he had, and we found ways to serve them. And, and uh, that's basically how I got here. Uh, I developed a very clear process. We, we have a very kind of, if I would say it's a framework that we use, but we start with basically working with leaders to lead themselves. I mean, the best, the only way you can really scale your business is to understand how to scale leadership into it. And the best way to lead is first to be able to lead myself. And so we start there and then that enables me to lead others more effectively. And, uh, and then that produces breakthrough results. So we have a very clear kind of uh, framework that we work through with people that helps us help them identify what, what's, what's working, what's not working, what's missing and what's wanted and needed in ways. And I'm happy to explore that with you. So that, that's how I got here. Okay, excellent. So, you know, nobody has a straight journey, you know, no. we've had some ups and downs and, you know, breaks and falls, but um, you're still here and yeah. doing your thing. And, and that's really what entrepreneurship is all about. And that much better for it, mind you. <laughs> well, well, you are, but you don't feel like it. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, definitely um, gaining a lot of wisdom and knowledge around, along the way. Um, you know, there's nothing like 
entrepreneurship and having a business to do that. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah. But you also do have scars and bumps and bruises. Um, well, you know, getting that. <laughs> I'll never, my first entrepreneurial lesson was from my grandfather. And he said, you can't explain your way out of what you behaved your way into, Junior. <laughs> and and I, that, I'll never forget it because when I, it took a while to get that, but I had, he had hired me to make his lawn green. Mm -hmm. And uh, I overwatered it, over fertilized it, the whole deal. And uh, when I came for my first check, he gave me a swat in the head. I was I was shocked. I was shocked. I went home and told my dad, I, said, I think Papa's crazy. He hired me, he said he's going to pay me $100, $50 every two weeks. And back in 63 or four, that's a big deal. Yeah. And then I did all this work and he slapped me. And so my father called my grandfather up and came back in and gave me a swat. I go, what are you doing? And he said it to me right to my face. He said, son, you cannot explain your way out of what you behave your way, way into. Your grandfather hired you to make the grass green, not work hard. And, and everything's worse. So your job is to make the grass green, whether you work every day or not. And that was a revelation right from there. So that's that's entrepreneurship that is. Uh, <laughs> in the head. so you know definitely don't get paid if you don't deliver no matter how, how hard you work that's for sure so so what i wanted to chat with you about you know one of the biggest challenges a lot of business owners have is you know they have their business but they haven't really a lot of times they haven't worked in other organizations so you know having an understanding of what a culture is you know why you know what how they should manage it that they're even responsible for setting it um, yeah is is key so um is that something you see and and how do you help people understand what culture is and why it's so important uh, it's a great question and it's a big question so first off culture begins with your personal ethos which is your you know your your own culture how you treat yourself and um that's why we talk about self-mastery first, because no matter how, I'm gonna to begin to treat people the way I treat myself. And I'm often blind to what doesn't work for other people because I'm I'm thinking what's good for me should be good for them. And, or what how I treat myself and that works should work for them. And that often isn't the case. So getting a hold of how people are thinking or, what their perceptions are is a big deal. Um, we would say that there are basically four principles we work from. And the first one is everybody makes the best choice they see available. Now, it may not be the best choice that's available, but it's the best choice they see available. And because um, you don't get up in the morning, nobody gets up in the morning and says, hey, you know, I'm just going to make the second or third best choice I can today. They make, they make, they're actually making the best choice they see available because neurologically they're set up to stay alive. Their brain has two command, you know, two mandates, keep the spacesuit alive. And the second mandate is save energy case you need it to keep the spacesuit alive. And so getting people to like, it's very often when new possibility shows up in a culture, it shows up as a threat because it, it doesn't fit what people think should be there. And so being able to vet those possibilities, being able to identify key conversations and ways to engage them to explore and open up new possibility requires us, you know, a willingness to look at other perspectives besides my own. So it requires that I'm in touch with my own perception. And then, and because if I'm not, if I'm not in touch with my own perception, my tendency is going to be to go to defend and protect it. If somebody wants to make a change and it doesn't fit my perception, I'll probably get resistant towards them. And I'll probably begin to attack their ideas because they don't fit my perception rather than kind of, taking my opinions as hypotheses and and my decisions as experiments when somebody and i can argue like i'm right but i gotta listen as if i could be wrong and so when somebody brings an idea that i feel is wrong or doesn't work and i'm going to argue as if i'm I, what i see is right i really got to be careful and listen to see what are they saying and is what they're saying actually what i'm hearing 
because if if they're acting on what they see as the best opportunity, and I am too, and they're what they're seeing is colliding with mine, in order for me to really see what they're seeing, I've got to go over to their idea. I've got to go over to their perspective. I don't have to give up my perception. I just got to suspend it long enough to see what they're seeing and to see why they're choosing to do what they're doing or why they're choosing to present what they're presenting the way they're presenting it. Okay. And, Great. So, ahead. you know, I mean, so, so really you got to start with yourself. That's uh, right. So before you can lead anyone, you got to lead yourself and, um, you know, really becoming a good leader requires a lot of things. Um, but one of the first things is communication. Yes. It's got to be two way. So, um, so, yep. Excuse me. Uh, communication actually starts with listening too, right? I mean, yes. I have to hear what you say so I know I can, so I can respond in a way that would be relevant. Correct. And, and a lot of times I'm responding to what I'm making up about what you say rather than what you said. And I'm giving you credit for what I've made up. <laughs> and then I'm holding you to it. <laughs> right. Right. Whether it's good or bad. That's right. I, so, I'll never forget. I, I, you know, I've had that happen multiple times where somebody comes in with an idea and I think they're saying one thing that I've already tried because it looks like that, but they're saying something very different or they have a different take on it. And, re and I often will scuttle what they're saying before I even understand fully what it is. And if you're married, you know what I mean? I mean, it, I, I see it most, I see it much more poignantly in my relationship with my wife. She's pointed it out many times. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, it all, all comes down to your relationships. Um, you know, at the end of the day, your organization can only go as far as you're prepared to take it. So yeah. you know, it's important to, to prepare yourself. Um, everybody's at a different stage and a di different level in their leadership journey. And, um, you know, there's always going to be mistakes and problems and challenges. Um, and, um, you know, most conflict comes out of, you know, miscommunication or lack of communication. Um, can you give an example of kind of how a conflict got started with, with one of your clients and sort of what it led to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. I had... I had a client a number of years ago who hired me to come in and they, they were running a, uh, uh, they were making, it was a bank. Um, and they had a, it was a, it was a division of a bank that this young man started and he was making jumbo loans. This was back before the subprime crisis, just before it. And the jumbo loan business that he set up inside this bank, uh, the bank gave him, you know, kind of set him up and he went out and sold these, these large loans. And uh, they they were making that was the biggest profit center in the bank, but the bank was using the money to bundle more subprime loans. And the deal that this young guy made with the bank actually enabled him to make about a quarter million dollars a year. But there was no profit sharing. There was no they had not really talked about well if it made uh, how would they do distributions and at what time and how would that look. So he he had been trying for twenty two. Uh, months to close a deal with him to reinvent the deal. And he he asked, he invited me and my partner to come in and and he wanted to see if we could help him because we do a lot of this kind of work, this negotiation work. And as I was talking to him about what he was doing and the relationship he had with the bank, one of the things he said was that, you know, they just don't, they don't want to work with us. Every time we make an offer, they counter but it takes forever for them to counter and we just can't seem to get the deal on the road every by the time you know we make an offer they'll come back with a long counter offer it took three or four weeks to get the counter offer i just don't i think they're stonewalling me and when i did some forensics on it they he, he hired us because he was so frustrated and and he had uh, his brother-in-law was his attorney and uh he wanted me to work with his brother-in-law who was the lead attorney trying to do this deal in the first place. And I had said to him, I really don't want to do that because this it's a conflict of interest. If I start to get close to closing a deal, I don't, I don't think your brother's going to be 
your brother-in-law is going to be too excited about that. But he said, no, 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 don't worry. He's a good guy. So we get into the deal and a point comes where we make, we're making term sheets and I sit down with a lawyer and with him and I say, look, we, we just want to cover the main terms here. We don't want the term sheet to be too complicated. We just want the three to four main deal points that are most important that represent both our interest and their interest on the, so they can, we can get a point of agreement and then we can start working the details after that. And I had specifically said, please do not make it any longer than one page. And, and I drew out, I, I drew up the, the, you know, the, the offer and sent it to him. And it was less than a page, very clear, very simple. And, and I was in Rome at the time. I was in Rome doing some other work. And the next morning I get up and they sent the offer and I got the offer in the mail, or, you know, in the email. And uh, it was four pages long with all kinds of details. And so I went, I call this guy up. Of course, I'm pretty upset. I go, I thought we talked about this. He goes, well, my brother-in-law, he's an attorney. He thought this would be better. And I said, yeah, this is what, this is why they take so long to get back to you because they have to think through these things and they have to think through them smartly so that they don't, you know, they got to make sure they're making the best deal for them. We're probably not going to hear from them for over, you know, three weeks. And they said, oh, oh, we'll hear from them next week. I said, well, if we don't, then I'd like to be able to fire your brother-in-law and hire my own attorney. And he said, okay, deal. And it was four and a half weeks before we heard from him. And we ended up closing the deal a month and a half later. I just hired my own attorney and we were able to work through it. And But, but just the way he was viewing it, he was blaming them for the delay rather than trying to understand what could they be doing that's in their best interest that would take them this long and how are we contributing to that? So that's a that's an example there. Okay, no, that's that's great. I mean, definitely, you know, everybody has a perspective. Yeah, you know what you want, uh, yep. but uh, but the other thing is, you know. I'm, I may do a little lawyer bashing, even though I don't have an issue with lawyers. But, um, but you know, they do tend to make things more complicated and take longer than they have to. Well, there's a there's a whole at Harvard. They started the Harvard Negotiation Project mm -hmm. because they recognize that lawyers tend to be deal breakers. Not all of them, but m many of them, most of them can be a deal breaker rather than a deal maker. And so they started the Harvard Negotiation Project to help lawyers understand in, in more depth what negotiation is. And one of the things they talk about is really understanding both your interest, of course, but also the other party's interest, because my interest, like a deal is only good if my interest and your interest serve each other. The minute we don't see that we're better off together than apart, it's the end of the deal. And, and there's a number of ways to look at that. And really interestingly enough, their research, uh, Harvard's research with Tufts Tuft School and um, Wharton, they did a 10-year study on you know, what actually blocks deals. And 87% of the time, it's cognitive. It's the way people are seeing things. And that's why we, we recognize that the way I see the world, it, it, it happens in language. It, 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 I'm talking to myself about what you're saying. And then I'm thinking what I'm saying about what you're saying is what you're really saying or what's really there. I don't often stop and notice what I'm making up about what's going on and what other possibilities outside of my perception might be there that could represent a resource that I don't see or in fact, I'm, I'm afraid of, yeah. you know, I, it looks like a problem. So, and yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, the other thing is, you know, when you're, communicating you know you know you only keep or retain 30 percent of what people say so yeah. if, you're, if you're missing more than half of what the conversation is then there's going to be some miscommunication so you know i always recommend also putting things in writing and communicating oh, yeah. that way yeah um, very meticulous about that after we have a conversation in the deal i'll always send an email ask if this is accurate is there anything you would add or edit please let me know so I have a paper trail so I can follow it and that helps me stay straight, right? Not just them, but it helps me and it reduces 
um, tension in the DLP. It builds trust because I'm asking them to make sure I'm understanding it well. Yep. You know, it's a big deal. And and the thing is, you know, you and I are talking. We have the ability to understand up to 450 words a minute. But we can, you know, if I was talking really fast, I might get 150 words in. So what are we doing with all that extra RAM up there while we're having this conversation? Well, you know, I'm wondering how am I doing for Andrew? I hope this works for his people. You know, I'm I'm wondering how I'm doing. I'm wondering uh, how you're, you know, I'm thinking about you. Do I trust Andrew? Do I like Andrew? Uh, is Andrew somebody I would love to connect with or like that? Or did he keep his word last time? Or you know, like, I have all these conversations going on in the background and they influence how I hear what you say. And if I'm not aware of them, um, I'll often be persuaded to believe them before I've checked in to see what's really there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's a little bit like I guess self-talk. You know, yeah. you you know you're um, you know internally um, you know telling yourself a story. You know, it could be positive, it could be negative, but <laughs> it's not necessarily true. But it, it can drive your actions. So. <laughs> Yeah. I, I mean, like one of the things I ask my clients is, where does the future live? Like, where does what hasn't happened, what what hasn't happened yet live? Like, and, and where, if you would, like, where do you find the future? And I say it lives in the same place that what next, what's next lives. And they always go, what do you mean? I said, it's in your language, how I relate to what I'm doing is in my language. And neuroscience has given us a good view into how powerful self-talk is and how it determines what we see as possible or not possible and how those conversations actually generate our actions or, or lack of action. Yep, um, it's, you know, like uh, they always say, uh, you know, you, you have a self-fulfilling prophecy. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. So. So we're about halfway through. Um, definitely um, great conversation. Um, we're going to continue chatting. But before we do that, I want to just, um, you know, for those of you who, who aren't on first thing, um, or just a recap, um, you know, we have a couple things going on this week. Um, I put links and info in the chat, but um, tomorrow we got a webinar with um, Jack Cox on finding out, is your business sellable? Um, so definitely check that out. Um, tomorrow night, we've got a networking for the holidays. It's always good to hang out. Um, friends, family, you know, great friends, great food, great connections. And then, um, you know, my new book is being launched on Friday at noon. We're going to have an event and here's, here's a quick video. And then I'll be back talking small business with Dan Ticini. Most businesses are not growing could be more profitable and have cash flow issues due to lack of capital. What if you knew the secret to generating revenue, maximizing profitability, and acquiring capital when you need it? I'm Andrew Frazier, and I have developed a proven five-step framework to take you from startup to scaling faster and easier. I laid it all out in the Masterpreneur Playbook. It's available now in both English and Spanish on Amazon, Audible, and my website, sbprou.com. Get your copy today to start selling more and making more sooner. Okay, welcome back. Um, we're talking small business with Dan Ticini. Um, you know, we're talking about conflict and how to resolve conflict to get better results, but also how it can, you know, be a positive um, and drive success in your business. Um, so then, you know, we talked a little bit about culture. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about an, an example of um, that, you know, of a client that you work with and sort of how you were able to navigate or help them navigate a, a difficult situation. Uh, faster and easier. Um, so, you know, we're saying that conflict is good. What does that mean? And why do you say it's good? Well, it's a great question. It It's good because it just means that 
there are a number, there's a diverse number of possibilities that are colliding. There are different perspectives that aren't, they're, they're, they're conflicting, right? And usually that's because people care about what they, what they want to get out of what's going on. And, you know, it's an interesting thing because people, people don't, people tend to, you and I, when conflict is up, we tend to lose our, our creativity because we're in survival. We, we start to go into a survival, which is fight or flight. You've heard that said numerous times. But another way of looking at it is you'll hear yourselves ask, you'll say, oh, oh, there's something wrong, bad, or bro broken with either it, whatever I'm doing, them or myself. And that is the sign that we're in an, a very, we're going to repeat the breakdown. We're going to get stuck because we're going to try to find what's wrong, bad, or broken and fix it. And most people don't realize that that's a very unproductive mind space. It's a very unproductive way to relate to a breakdown, to a, to a conflict, right? A conflict's going on. How often do you go in and go, okay, what do we have here? What's working? What's not working? And then what's missing based on what we say we wanted? And, you know, what's wanted and needed from me? What request, what kind of inquiry, what do I need to provide to bring forth what we've come together for? So what we tend to do if we think there's something wrong, bad, or broken is we, we tend to want to justify the past. Like, oh, this is what made this breakdown and it's your fault or it's this, it's the system or it's the circumstances rather than I, what, what's happening right now? What's literally working right now? Let's separate that out. Let's understand what that is because that's a potential strength for us right now. And, and whatever we have in this situation is exactly what we need to forward the vision that we're committed to. And so then the next step is, okay, now what's not working? And most of us don't like to do those forensics because at some level we tend to tie what's not working into our identity. And then we feel like, you know, we get shameful and defensive and, and we want to make sure that people don't see how we made a mistake. And, and that actually breaks down the ability for a team to synergize. And so being able to stay focused on, a, what the vision is, and let that be the context of our communication. So like with that, in that story I talked about, the gentleman, you know, the young guy I was working with, I knew that this lawyer wasn't going to work out. I had set it up front. He asked me to work with him. And the first opportunity when I saw that the lawyer did exactly what he wanted to do and not what I had asked him to do, then I knew at that moment I could make a bid. I could say, look, if they don't come back like we said, then I'd like to be able to hire my own lawyer. Because if they did, if 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 it worked, I can work with it. But if it doesn't work, I, I, I can see where the breakdown is. And I don't have time to work with this lawyer's head. And he probably doesn't want me to. He, he's worried about how he's going to look because he took 22 months and couldn't close the deal. So I knew that that was all operating. And when that happened, I took the opportunity to move him out and that opened up a new possibility. It also had my, my friend to begin to think about, I kept saying to him, look, whatever's going on is perfect. That's what we need to deal with to get to the vision we have. So we've got to ask ourselves what's wanted and needed right now in this circumstance. And, and we won't know that unless we do forensics on what's not working as well as we do on what's working. And once we see what's mi missing, we can identify specifically aspects of what's missing that we can provide immediately. What can we provide immediately? What do we need to provide over a long period of time? What do we need to prepare for? All of that comes out of that thinking, that relationship, if you will. So getting people to be willing to think like a scientist, to kind of back off and consider, like I said before, their opinions as hypotheses and their, and their decisions as experiments. And then look at the results, you know, what do I have here? Yeah. And if it's not working, what's not, what's working and what's not working, let's start to tease that apart. And so often teams get sidetracked in trying to blame, shame, who gets the credit, who gets the blame, who gets the shame. And okay. it doesn't work.
<laughs> yeah, no, no, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, you you, you um, hit the nail right on the head. Um, you know, a lot of times I find people try to treat the symptoms instead of the root cause. Um, and you know, a lot of you know, a lot of times I'll go to work with a client, no matter what their problem is. Most of the time, it's not what they think they're probably. <laughs> Why not? Isn't that true for all of us, though? Isn't that true for all of us? Like, isn't the initial yeah. thing we think's messed up? Like, I thought, you know, my relationship, what was messed up in my relationship was the drugs I was doing, but the drugs were the symptom of, right. you know, of uh, my own sense of feeling like a fraud, you know, and trying to prove I'm not a fraud versus just embracing the fact that. I could, I have this tendency to want to lie or cheat. If I can, con if I can connect with that, then I can have it. It doesn't have me. And, and it enables me to listen in a new way because I'm not trying, I'm not using a bunch of energy to convince you I'm not a fraud. Yeah. I can just be myself, right? Be here with you. Right. And you can focus on the objective. You exactly. know, when you're doing all that other stuff, you're not even focused on the, the objective or the goal. So, um, if, you know, I think one of the things is you focus on getting people focused on the objective and the goal and a goal that's a win win. You know, yeah. at, at the end of the day, um, you know, that, that's key. But but it's really tough because, um, you know, one of the big challenges of a lot of business owners is, you um, they don't like to analyze stuff and they don't like numbers. Um, this, this, yeah. the, what is it? The third chapter in my book is what is your greatest fear? Yeah. Numbers, because, you know, they, they, you know, you're running <laughs> a business and you don't even use numbers. How do you do that? Oh, but man. Every day. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm definitely picking your book up, but I, I, you know, I say to my clients, if you don't like numbers, you shouldn't be in business because numbers is the language of business. You better be able to read a spreadsheet Understand a, a profit and loss statement, a cash flow statement, and a balance sheet. Otherwise, you're you're <laughs> you can't read the language of the bit of business. You're going to be you're going to constantly get surprised, and you're not going to see things coming early. That that's like those are the gauges of flying the plane, right? Right, and and um, you know, actually, I'm working on my next book on financing. And, you know, um, uh, you know, one of the things I say is, you know, well, I've got a top ten list of why most businesses don't get financing. And, you know, most people who don't get, you know, most people who don't get it, don't deserve it. You know, that's kind of tough, but, you know, if you don't know the language of business and you're trying to have someone who give you money to run your business, yeah, you know, that that demonstrates you don't really know how to run your business or understand oh. how it works. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're asking somebody to hand you a million dollars, but you don't know how to, well, it's like a lot, and a lot of, I've seen this, I know when I was a young man, I used to think that, you know, I look at my profit and loss statement and I'd be making money. I thought that was money, but I, I learned about cash flow, right? And that, you know, the profit and loss statement is really about the business model and then the cash flow you know, retain cash flow and investment cash flow and distributive cash flow, like knowing your cash flow, a big deal, right? And that, and that tells me a lot of when to act on certain things and yeah, and, and how to organize the team, right? Like, right. I really yeah. love getting the team involved in open book management because they understand the impact of their behaviors on the bottom line of business, of their business. So Right. And you know, you can't do business without a holistic approach. That's right. You can't say, you know, we're just going to do marketing the best and, you know, everything else will work itself out. You know, because, <laughs> you know, marketing affects, you know, operations, which affects finance and vice versa. So there's, you know, complex relationships. So making sure you understand them, you know, just like you said, a lot of people, you know, don't realize that you can be making a lot, making a profit and running out of money. Or yeah, you be losing money and have plenty of cash. Um, yeah, but you know the ultimate and what you should be trying to do is have plenty of cash and be making money. Yeah. So, <laughs> my grandpa, I remember he said to me one time, I he says, you know, Junior, you're probably going to have to lose your money two or three times before you learn how to keep it because you just you just it's ready fire aim with you and. Yeah. And he, he was right. After a couple of losses, I went, mm, maybe I'll do a better aim. I'll do ready aim fire instead of ready fire aim. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, well you know, there's, there's two ways you learn in business. You know, yeah. 
the time and effort to do it or you you know do your business plan or you lose money so you know if you get tired of losing money then you'll try and do it the right way right on but, you know hopefully you figure that out before you get yeah. into trouble financially <laughs> yeah, i'm looking forward to your book by the way i've been following you since we did the the podcast a couple of weeks ago and good stuff i'm it, so it, it it'll be on sale friday um it's actually up now oh, it is great um, so yeah and but actually that chapter was in my first book running your small business like a pro um uh -huh. which is great also each one sort of has its own um merits but oh, yeah. yeah but no definitely so um awesome. so great so you know we're at about 20 minutes till um Actually, you mentioned my book, so let me just take a minute and share a little bit more of, about my book. So um, hold on, and then we'll be back talking small business. So let's take a look. This is my most recent. It's not even available yet. Oh, it's not? Um, okay. okay. The Masterpreneur Playbook. Okay. Um, and really, you know, we talked about mm -hmm. is there's five steps yeah. to growing your business. Yeah. And, you know, really laying out what those steps are, but not only what the steps are, how do you transition through them? And, you know, each stage, you have certain things, there's a certain challenge that you have to overcome. Right. There's a certain goal you have to achieve. Right. There's a certain role you have as a business owner. Right. There's a certain structure that you need to have within your business to support um, that role and move into the next role. So each step, you know, I lay out what those things are Wonderful. because each one of those has a key skill that you have to have as, as the business owner. You have to evolve and continually learn or you're going to get stuck. You can only go as far as you're prepared to take it. Okay, welcome back. I'm here with Dan Ticini, um, talking small business. So, you know, one of the things we talk about in the Matchpreneur Playbook is the five steps. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things is it's very hard for most business owners to go from working in their business to working on their business. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Which, you know, requires different skills, but then even after you've worked on your business, the next level is to work on the future of your business. Yeah. It takes a whole different level of skills. So, you know, working on your business is management skills, um, analysis, all those things. But working on the future of your business is more, um, more of a coaching role. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to transition from a coaching to a doing. Um, how do you help people do that within an organization? Because a lot of times that's where the challenge is. They're trying to do somebody else's job or or whatever. So um, tell me a little bit about that and how you address it. Well, I've found that most of the time, small business owners, they just don't want the hassle of the conflicts that arise up, right? And it, it, there's a, if you're going to create uh, leadership, you're going to coach leadership into your organization. The best way to coach it is to de is to demonstrate it. And particularly in conflict, that's where people learn a how to deal with conflict, and they learn to trust you more when they see you, you may not know exactly what to do, but you know how to find what to do. And there's a framework that I use and that we coach people on. Um, once we we've worked with them a bit on their own self mastery. Uh, and you'll see it's built into this framework. The first thing is, are you able to describe the breakdown you're looking to solve? Now, is it a symptom? Or is it the actual breakdown? And the only way to tell the first thing you got to do is you got to look at well, what is it I'm looking at? So if, if let's say, I'm I've got revenue issues, you know, there, there's, there's only three kinds of problems. You have either a normal problem, you have an abnormal problem, or you have a pathological problem. And the thing about problems is you always got problems. You know, any entrepreneur entrepreneur knows this, that you're always got a problem. There's It's just what problems are the smartest ones to solve first. And the only way you can tell 
is to identify what's an abnormal or pathological problems. Those are the ones to solve first. And that requires context. So for an example, if you and I are talking and you've been in business for 10 years and you're having serious cash flow problems and you've had people turning over, that's, an, that's not a normal problem for a business that's been in business for 10 years. Now that might be a normal problem for a business that's been in for a year or two, but if you've been in business for 10, 12, 13 years, and you're, those are still the issues you're dealing with, there's probably something abnormal about that, maybe pathological, then I then you'd want to like address that, like you'd start with the symptom. And and let's say, you know, you might think it's a problem with, you know, you might I might have a problem with a guy who's really producing well, but he's he's really toxic to the culture. People don't like working with him, people that he's worked with turnover. But you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna need to look at that, right? And the problem there is why why is it I've been unwilling to correct him? Probably because, right, uh, I'm afraid of losing the productivity. I don't want the trouble back in my lap, etc. So if I go to this guy and say, look, I want to talk to you about a problem or something that's up, I want to be able, before I go, I want to prepare for the conversation. I want to state what the problem is. And if I've really looked at the problem, you know, one of the problems I'd probably say, look, you know, uh, you're really you're producing, but it's costing us more than it's worth. That that might be how I frame the problem. At least that's how I see it. And so I, I want to be able to state the problem clearly, and say, look, I I might say something like, look, I'm committed to your development. I'm committed to this business. I'm committed to you contributing to the business. And I want to talk about this problem of how many people have turned over that have worked with you, and how the team tends to hold information back from you, which can, which has, I've seen it undermine, et cetera, what you're up to. And you've complained about it. And then I'm going to give him an example of what that looks like to me. So he knows, he doesn't just have the conceptualization of the problem. He sees the examples I'm using to, to, to make this assertion. So I want to state the problem. I want to give him an example of the problem as I see it. And then I want to, I want to, I want to own my contribution. So if, if I've really mastered myself, I'm willing to look at how I've contributed to this. I'd probably say something like, you know, um, I really am grateful that you've produced the way you have. And I've been afraid, you know, to confront you about what I see as a major development for you in your own, in your own leadership and, and how it could make, how this development could actually in, you know, improve the meaning of your work, uh, your relationships at work, and your results. Because I've been afraid of losing you. I'm afraid that you might leave and leave me high and dry. But I've decided that that has been part of the problem. So I'm, I'm going to actually, I'm going to talk about that. And when you do this, what happens for me is I get upset at you. And then I back off because I'm afraid that if I say something, you'll leave. And then I'll be stuck with, doing more work, but I'm, I'm in a place now where I'm willing to risk that. And I realize that's, hasn't done you any favors and it's certainly not doing the team any favors, right? Something like that. Okay. Now, uh, go ahead. Okay. No, I, I would just say, um, I really liked how you said that, um, you know, you're, you got to own your part of the problem. You yes. Know, a lot of times, you know, people generally, like you said, people generally want to do a good job. But most organizations don't tell them how to do a good job or what a good job is or measure their performance, give them feedback. So they, so by the time, you know, you, you get feedback that someone's not happy with what you're doing, you didn't even know what it was you were supposed to be doing. Yeah. In fact, there's a, there's a principle I ask people to consider that what you refuse to confront now will defeat you later. Yep. Yeah. So, so like, I, I really, part of the work we do is, hey, look, I see, like, in that case there, I've been afraid that they're going to run off and leave me and I'm going to have more work than I can do. And I don't have anybody to fulfill it. Instead of, you know what, I'm going to start preparing for somebody to take this person's place in case they do leave. I mean, I'm going to start actively preparing to deal with what I've been afraid would occur. 
and then I'm going to execute this in a way. Now, when the team, if the team sees me confronting somebody who's abusive, the trust level in the culture goes way up. But if I don't, then other people begin to think they can behave that way as well. So it fouls the culture anyway. If I allow a problem to exist too long because I'm afraid of what the consequences may be in working to deal with it. Yeah. So now, once I've, once I've told them what, how, what happens for me, how I've contributed, you know, how I've contributed, what happens to me when this goes on, uh, how I've behaved, I might, you know, and then I would say, look, if this continues, here's what I'm, con I'm concerned about. Here's what I think's at stake if you don't make a shift. One, I'm going to fire you. It could be that. Or it could be, you know, we're just going to end up, you're going to end up leaving bitter and I'm going to be high and dry, et cetera, anyway. But if this doesn't shift, the future that coming looks like this, and I'm going to build out what I see, I call it the parade of horribles, that is going to occur if I continue to indulge in the problem the way I have. Because one of the things I work with, with, le with team leaders and with entrepreneurs, founders, is that whatever I have on my, in my world, in my business, at home, et cetera, I either caused it or I've tolerated it. And because I can move, I, I'm able to get rid of things I don't want. I do it all the time. So if it's still there and I'm still complaining about it, there must be something I'm getting from it. And I need to identify that so I can see what's missing and, and start to make plans to provide it in a more authentic manner rather than selling out and, and, and kind of blaming the other person when I'm a kind of a co in the deal. I'm, I'm, I'm making it possible for them to do what they're doing. Okay. So, so, so I want to really illuminate clearly, and this is, I do all this before I even get in a conversation. So I'm grounded. I want to be able to be clear. What, what future do I think is coming if we don't do anything about this now? And then I'm going to make a proposal about what I'd like to do, but I, I would say, look, I have some thoughts about this, but before I, I go into it, I'd love to hear your thoughts. And then I'm going to get into a free flowing conversation under, and I want to understand what they see and what hasn't worked for them and what I can provide along the way. Like what bridges can we build here? What, what have I missed that could support them in getting better, like becoming a better communicator, a better team member or whatever it is that I'm dealing with. And, and then we'll go back and forth. But if I'm clear in those steps, when I start, I have a, a, a very large, percentage of the time I'm going to get this, this meeting's going to go somewhere and may, maybe I need a couple of follow-up meetings, but at the very least, the issue's up into the light. The team is seeing it. Maybe it goes to the team after this. Maybe this person decides they want to leave. We work on an exit plan. Maybe they walk out, right? I don't know, but I'm, I'm going to push the issue to the surface and then I'm going to deal with it in a way that's going to be best for the business. And I'm, I'm going to keep that in mind, but I'm not going to run away from it because if I do, I'm going to get more of what I say I don't want. That thing. No, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, I think um, actually you were talking about chapter five of my first book. It's called "Is It Me or My Employees Crazy?" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was your first book. Yeah, well, oh, that's, that's a great title. Sure. These chapters, you know, we we got a little interesting. Uh, you know, way of looking at, it. but you know, like you said, at the end of the day, whatever's happening in your business is your fault because you're, you're either tolerating it or you're causing it. Um, so, you know, if you can take that perspective when you're trying to deal with things, um, it goes a long way. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I, one of the things I have, and I talk with the teams about this is that people don't change. And people don't change. They trans. They can transform, mm -hmm. but they don't change. And what I mean by that is, do I still wrestle with you know my inauthenticity and my need or fear that I'm not going to be accepted? And I, am I you know do I often feel it when I'm in conflict? I want to become project something I'm not. Yes, I do. Uh, that comes up for me. If I, so that hasn't changed. But how I relate to it has. Instead of trying to get rid of it it helps me understand when I'm most insecure. And rather than make a statement or try to sell you on my value, 
it's better for me to ask questions and understand what I might be missing. So that that tendency, that racket, if you will, that defense mechanism that comes up in me usually comes up when I'm I don't know exactly what to do, and I want to and I start to pretend like I do rather than look. I really don't. I'm not clear about this. Can you help me? You know, and I can start to investigate so I can get clear about what's wanted and needed, okay. and you know, like that. So it's part of the self mastery is really kind of connecting with the the way I relate to myself and the world around me and how that either contributes to what I say I'm committed to, or it contributes to what I say I really don't want. And if I can get a hold of those, we call it hugging the cactus, right? Like the aspects of me I wish would go away yeah. rather than wishing them away. I can get familiar with them. So familiar with them that rather than be an enemy, they start to become an ally. They start to inform me about what's wanted and needed from me when I start to act like this or okay. feel like this or think like this. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So, you know, the one thing I always hate is, you know, now it goes really fast. You know, we're, yeah. we're pretty much knocking up against the hour. So what I want to do is, um, you know, we covered a whole bunch of stuff and, um, you know, like we said, people only retain like 30% of what we said. So uh, we had to really say it three times for everybody to get it. But, you know, at least if we could take, if you could take a minute, think about, you know, what are the three key themes or three key learnings that people should take away from what we discussed tonight so that they can apply it to their business starting tomorrow? So I'll give you a minute to think about it. Um, I'm going to play another video. This is actually a little bit about my first book, and then we'll come back. Talking okay. small business with Dan Ticini. My first book is Running Your Small Business Like a Pro. Mm -hmm. And really, that took me five years to write. It was, mm -hmm. you know, your first book, as you know, right, is right. the hardest one. Right, exactly. Exactly. Um, Wait, let me take a. But yeah. it really um, took the work of working with 500 plus business owners. So 500, wow, that's great. Um, looked at the patterns that I've seen and really broke down the things that they needed to know mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, how do they get where they are now? Mm -hmm. What's their most important job as a business owner? Mm -hmm. um, what is their greatest fear? Mm -hmm. You know, um, and then you know, is it your employees or are you crazy? Because you know, definitely managing people is a challenge right. Um, right. for small businesses, and just you know, important things about financing and retirement, all those things that you need to know as a business owner, mm -hmm. but you know, where would you have learned them? Who's teaching you that? Mm -hmm. uh, so many business owners don't know those things. Okay. Welcome back. I'm here with Dan Ticini. Uh, we've been talking about a lot of great stuff tonight, and Dan's going to boil it down to three key things that you need to know about what we discussed. <laughs> I'll do about. my best, you bet. So first off, self-mastery, master yourself, which means be familiar, be very deep, not just familiar, but deeply acquainted with your perception of your business, your perception of the people you work with, the perception of your vendors and you know so on and so forth. And then be open to other people's perceptions, make the distinction. Like I can have a perception and, and if you find yourself defending something, you're probably defending your perception. And you might want to just listen closely to find out if what's being said to you is what you're hearing. So, and, and what perception are they bringing that you might not see? And remember, too, that new possibilities most often present themselves as threats. And that by looking into those threats, you may find a whole new level of resource or possibility that you previously hadn't even recognized. The other thing is, um, make sure, like conflicts, you want, the, the, the next thing is, remember that if you don't, what you don't confront now can defeat you later. So the longer, and re, this, there's tons of research on this, the longer you wait to deal with a, a conflict or a problem, the more toxic it becomes. 
uh, it affects your culture. So take the time to sit down. If you have a problem, line it out. If you're going to go talk to a team or an individual, write down the problem as you see it. Right? Give them an example. Let them know what you experience when it comes up. Account for your contribution to it. And then let them know what the potential, you know, like if you, what you think is at stake if you continue in this, the way that things are, even though that there might be some productivity. And, the, and then give them an idea of what you'd like to do and listen to them. And if you're willing to do that, then things will work. And remember, people don't change. They just, they can transform, which means if I'm an effective leader, I can help somebody deal with the things that normally get in their way. I can help them learn how to use those things to help them be better at what they're doing. Like, like they can turn something they think they have to get rid of into a way of identifying when they're most insecure. And then that's a time for them to get curious about what they may not be seeing. So those are the things, that's how I think about that in those three ways. Okay, no, that's great. So, um, you know, basically, you know, you got to first focus on the person in the mirror. Um, yeah. Know, so. Um, I, I don't know if you're a fan of the Matrix movies. I am, um, I am. Uh, but um, you know, in the first one, the Oracle says, you know, look at the thing behind you, and it says, you know, know yourself. So, um, you know, you gotta know yourself and, and control that. You know, second is being open to people's perceptions. Um, you know, understanding that challenges can create opportunities. Um, yeah. Especially yeah. if you're threatened. If you feel threatened, use it. Like, I wonder what's there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause then you can just find a resolution. You know, if, if nobody if people were not happy and they didn't there was no conflict, then they don't care. Um, so you know, at least they care enough to conflict with you. Yeah. And, you know, just a side note there, Andrew. If there's a great book out called Thank You for the Feedback by the Harvard Negotiation Project, 10 year study on feedback and how do you how do you discern what feedback to listen to or not i recommend it to small, okay. small book very very useful okay thank you for your feedback that, that's great because yeah feedback's so important so it'd be good to sort of learn a little bit more about that and, and then just the final piece is you know don't let things fester you know yeah. go see the doctor sooner rather than later right uh, because things are just going to get worse uh, before they get better so um, you know, those are great insights. You know, I appreciate that time chatting with you this evening. Um, you know, anything else you want to share before we close out? Uh, no, if you'd like, if you'd like to get a hold of me or uh, what we're up to, um, you'll have everything in the, in the in the show notes, I'm sure. But um, we have our podcast, the Naked Leadership Podcast, and uh, and then we've got a leadership program that we do for the general public. Most of our clients send their people to it called the uh, Revenant Process. And I know Andrew's got that in the notes too. Okay, great. Thank, so, you. thank you. I'm looking forward to your book, Andrew. Okay, great. Thank, thank you as well, Dan. So just hang out for a minute. I'm just going to close things sure. out. So, you know, once again, appreciate everybody tuning in. Um, you know, definitely enjoy chatting with Dan. And, um, you know, you know, definitely um, gain some useful insights. You know, he's doing some great stuff. Um, just, you know, important to kind of really focus on, um, you know, you're, you you have to start with yourself and, um, you you know, you can be the solution rather than part of the problem. So, um, so once again, I'm glad to see that. Next week, um, we've got a new guest, um, you know, each week. And next week, our guest is Gene Bohinsky. Um, you've probably seen him. He's, he's a fairly regular. He comes on every quarter or every twice a year. And really, he's going to talk about how to create a high-performing organization. Um, you know, he's actually doing some great things. He really started a new business this year on top of the other businesses he has. And, you know, he's already grown it to, you know, probably about 50 employees. And, you know, how did he do that successfully so quickly? So we're going to talk about, you know, really how do you build an organization? Um, and starting from the beginning, from before you even bring anybody in. So um, 
that allows you to create the culture you want to have. Because um, see, it's way easier to create a culture from the beginning than try to change a culture once it's established. So, um, you know, you should gain some valuable insights about that. So I'm looking forward to talking with Gene next week. And just, you know, quick reminder, you know, tomorrow, if you want to check out our webinar, is my business sellable? Tomorrow night, if you want to network and connect with some great people and have some great food. Um, and then um, Friday at noon, or actually Friday at noon, um, you'll have um, my book launch virtual. So join us online. We'll be live streaming it. So um, that's really what, what we got for this week's show. But, you know, really at the end of the day, the more that you know, the more successfully your business is going to grow. Thank you for listening to Leadership Live at 805, Talking Small Business. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Leadership Live is one of the many valuable resources provided through the Small Business Pro University, empowering business owners to learn, profit, and grow. Find out more at sbprou.com.